Sports Talk New York with your hosts, Mark Rosenman and A.J. Carter. Sports Talk New York is sponsored in part by Prince Associates for all your insurance needs, the Phoenix Tube Company, the law firm of Declator Cohen and DePrisco, Solomon Jewelers, and General Needs Charity, serving our homeless veterans with dignity. And now, here are your hosts, Mark and A.J. Joining us now is the man who played 18 seasons in the National Hockey League for the New York Islanders and Pittsburgh Penguins. He won four Stanley Cups with the Islanders, two with the Penguins, and one as assistant coach with the Colorado Avalanche. He holds the NHL record for points in a single period with six, four goals and two assists in the second period against... uh, my team, the New York Rangers, December 23rd, 1978. He's also one of only eight NHL players with multiple five-goal games. He was named one of the 100 greatest NHL players in history. He was inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame in his first year of eligibility in 1997. His number 19 was raised to the Nassau Veterans Memorial Coliseum Rafters on October 20th, 2001. It is a pleasure to welcome Hockey Hall of Famer Brian Trottier to Sports Talk New York. Welcome, Brian. How you doing? Hi, Mark. How are you? I'm Do- great. Thank you. Doing great. You know, you know, it's very interesting because if you look back in time, you see that you were a second-round pick, 22nd overall in the 1974 draft, and you wonder how you could have possibly been a second-round draft pick. You, but when you look deeper into that draft, the NHL at that time was reacting to the threat of the World Hockey Association, and that draft had a very heavy emphasis on underage players, teenagers who were 17 to 18 years old. You were the ninth underage player taken that year. What do you remember most about draft day? Well, it was, uh, it was by telephone. <laughs> it wasn't much hoopla like there is today, but it was a pretty exciting day because uh, for about a month before that draft, we were talking to the World Hockey Association, Cincinnati Stingers. They offered $500,000, $50,000 for 10 years. I mean, it's more money than my dad would have seen his whole lifetime. And uh, we had to kind of, you know, just make a real tough decision based on uh, some really good advice from some attorneys and local attorneys right in Swift Prince, Saskatchewan. And they said, you know, this is a little out of our league, but I, I wouldn't do that. I'd just kind of, kind of use some leverage with the NHL and see what happens. And then the day before the NHL draft, the Cincinnati Stingers pulled the contract. And they threatened. They said, we'll pull the contract if you go in the NHL draft. And we're like, okay, I hope you don't. But... You know, it'd be nice to be able to like uh, <clears throat> have something, but it was just a, uh, it was it was kind of a whirlwind, and for me, it was an exciting time. You know, I, I you know, when you have no money, you say, "What the heck's the difference?" You know, like you just figure what's up, something good's going to happen here. But uh, like it, the, uh, I remember getting the phone call from Bill Torrey and talking to Odd Erickson and Earl Ingerfield and Gary Kirk and Al Arbor, and it was uh, it was a really exciting time and. Bill hung up the phone. He said, meet me in Montreal in three days, and uh, we signed the contract, and it was just uh, that fast. I mean, it went so quick. Like, Mom and Dad got looped on the plane out to uh, Montreal, eh? and so um, we got off the plane. We were up in the, the office, and Dad, all the way out there, says, okay, whatever they offer us, remember, we're going home to think about it. <laughs> I'm like, all right, we've got a plan. You know, it's their second offer will always be better than the first offer. I'm like, all right, good. <laughs> so, so, uh, so it turned out, like, when they put that contract, it was like, oh, you know, it was like $100,000 for five years. It was like uh, $250,000 signing bonus month. Dad goes, where's the pen? <laughs> what happened to the plan, Dad? He goes, ah, uh, you know, they're never going to offer more than that. So <laughs> wow. it was really kind of a fun, funny story with a, with a fun time, exciting time. And 
they bought me a car of my choice. I gave that to mom and dad as a signing bonus, and uh, so that that all all that fun stuff is just a, a real good memory. You know, you go even deeper into that draft. You were projected as a very promising forward. The Islanders suggested that you spend another year in junior, making you the only underage player to wait to turn pro following that draft. But it's interesting to note that of all those underage players, as well as all the players drafted that year, you played more NHL games than all of them. How much did that final season at Lethbridge, one in which you would lead the league with 98 assists, 144 points, earning you the Most Valuable Player Award under former New York Islander coach Earl Ingerfield, help your transition into the NHL the following year? Well, I think it was imperative. Like The Islanders took a, took a chance. It was a long shot. And when I look back, and Earl Ingerfield and Gary Kirk were the two guys that scouted me from, on the, in the Western Hockey League. And... and they really kind of must have did a good sales job because I was a lot, yeah, a five six hundred and sixty pounds. I wasn't ready for the NHL, and there was no way I was going to make the NHL. But I had this really cool teammate, Tiger Williams, that kind of <laughs> toughened me up a little bit. That last that that year, that actually that draft year, Tiger's draft year, and he was drafted by Toronto. I went to New York, and uh, we worked out that whole summer together. And I was kind of holding my breath. And when they finally told me I was heading back to junior, I was a little relieved because I was I, I wasn't. I wasn't man tough. I wasn't, you know, man strong. And um, that year back, I put on 15 pounds, grew another couple inches, and went to camp the next year, 195, 5'11". And I still wasn't strong enough. Like that first year in the NHL, I was 19 years old. I still didn't. I felt I was okay, quick enough, and I had to be quick or to get beat up. They had guys like King Kong Korab in the league. I was like, oh my god, he was a monster. But it, uh, thank God he was a gentle giant. But I n- tried not to make those big monsters mad. But they just always wanted a little piece of me anyway. Because I like the bump guys. But um, it was just kind of a, a an interesting, intriguing transition. But that year back in junior was, I think, a, a real smart. Bill Torrey told me when we signed the contract, I don't know if you're going to, you know, you're going to make the team this this fall. But you're going to be a big part of our future. And uh, I came to camp that year. There were 60, 60 rookies came to camp in 1975. And we had a, one big locker room at uh, the old Racket and Rink in Farmingdale. <laughs> and uh, I was last man standing. I had this whole room. There were 60 of us in this room. And I was last man standing. And uh, I, I could not believe it. And they finally brought me down to the locker room there. It was almost like uh, the beginning of the season. And I, I dressed at the big locker room. I dressed in the weight room. So you, you, there's no fringe benefits being like you, you think. Oh my God! You know, you're 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 a young kid. They'll try to you know throw you a lifeline. They made things tough. And it was it was okay. You know, you get on the first road trip, and they oh, you're in charge of all the luggage. And I made sure everybody's luggage made it to the hotel room. <laughs> no problem. The second road trip, I started screwing up, and the guys were like, "Okay, you're out of you're you're not in charge of luggage anymore." And I, I, I just like, oh my God, thank goodness! <laughs> and uh, you know, you, but you, you pay your dues, and it's okay. You know, it's um, it, it was once it was a great, great, good group of guys like Eddie Westfall, you know, J.P. Parisi, uh, Eddie West, uh, Jerry Hart. There was a whole bunch of guys. Jude Drew, they just they took me under their wing. And French guys loved me because my last name was French Trache, so I was always out with the French guys. They spoke French to me all night. I spoke. I heard. I, Understood nothing, but I was very, very jealous, Mark, of the uh, the guys that went the year before, like Pierre, Pierre Larouche, and oh God, there was a bunch of them, Grant Mulvey, and I was like, oh my God, how did God, you're so, God, so lucky to play in the NHL, but um, 
you know, like that year was important for me. I think I, I, I got a little bit, little bit stronger. I got to play under Earl Ingerfield and got a little more maturity. He put me in every situation to learn some leadership and put the cared to see that year. So it was really good. Had a great year, you know, won MVP at a, the uh, first junior ever, first world juniors in Winnipeg that year. So there was a lot of good things happened. And uh, I felt, you know, just uh, your self-esteem, your confidence kind of grew and, I didn't go into camp cocky, believe me, because I I was really kind of uh, that's Saskatchewan nervous. I think <laughs> you know where you're like, oh my God, I want to be optimistic and hopeful, but at the same time, I better watch my P's and Q's and better to be seen, not heard, kind of thing. But uh, the guys were great. They're a little tough on me, but I think it was uh, all in just normal, good fun, and just you know, hey, pay your dues, kid. You're going to be fine, and uh, kind of had to earn it, and uh, that's uh, that was good. I, I roomed with Eddie Westfall. He was my first roommate, and talk about luck. Like, here's a guy, a former Stanley Cup winner, and just a super all-around good guy. He had kids my age, and I was like, <laughs> oh, my God. I'm, he was like a father figure. Here's Al Arbor, kids my age. He's my father figure. Phil Torrey, kids my age. These guys were all my father figures. So, like, I'd say to myself, I lucked out. I went to a team that, you know, they treated me like one of their kids. You know, they, Al Arbor used to say to me, Ryan, this two, my two favorite things Al Arbor used to say to me, like our coach in New York, he'd say the same things my dad would say to me. <laughs> Bear down and smarten up. I used to love that. I'm like, what are you talking to my dad? What's crazy? <laughs> he says the same thing. But that's just, I think, him being a dad and recognize I'm still a kid or I don't know. But it was, uh, you know, I, I never felt like I was getting picked on. I never felt like I was getting, uh, you know, like just any kind of like special treatment. But it was... Uh, it was it was unique in the fact that I had to go back to junior, stay that year, come back, and just kind of like springboard into that into that year with uh, with guys that were just uh, you know ready to do something fun. It's pretty amazing. I have not heard the, the term racket racket rank in so many years. As, uh, <laughs> I, I remember that vividly that place. So the following season, you find yourself in the NHL. Coach Al Arbor has you centering a line between Clark Gillies and Billy Harris. Your first game is against the Kansas City Scouts, one in which it looked like the Islanders had won the game in the final minute until Drew Druin's goal was waved off. What do you remember most about that first NHL game? I remember everything and and anything. Like, you mentioned anything about that game, and it was, like, uh, pretty special because it was the first time I got to put a jersey on, a New York Islander jersey on, with number 19 on the back and my name and the big Islander crest on the front. We had, I had played um, 13 exhibition games that year, uh, unheard of for a kid. You know, like was, I think training camp in those days was like something like 33 days or something. But we played 13 exhibition games, I think, there was one. There was one stretch, four and five nights. I didn't miss a game. Didn't miss a shift. I uh, didn't score a goal. Didn't get a point. I don't think at all of the training camp. <laughs> but I didn't miss a, a hit. I hit everything that moved. Anything that was near me, I tried to try to throw a body check. And uh, you know, and I used to think, oh, I guess I might go back to junior because that was the threat. If I didn't make the team, I had to go back to junior. I couldn't go to the minors because I was still nineteen. And I said, oh, I guess I'm going back to juniors. You know, and I was kind of disappointed a little bit to a degree. Nobody said a word. And then finally, Al Arbor came up to me like two days before camp was over. The last guy in that big room down at the far end. And he said, kid, I think you should find a place to live. So I bunked in with a family from Long Island because I, I, I had no clue what to do, how to take care of myself. But uh, the Amendola family, they're still like my surrogate family. But I, in, 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 in that Kansas City game, I remember the flight out there. I remember the excitement of putting that jersey on, the goosebumps. 
Uh, again, no points that game, but I hit everything that moved. I was just like so excited. And Al Harper goes, "Okay, kid, it's time to start playing some hockey. You know, you're, 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 we know you can throw the body. We know you can play play physical game. You got you got to start playing hockey." And it was kind of a nice little message. And it, you know, he didn't yell at me. He just kind of gave me like, you know, gave you know, you're you're running around with chicken with your head cut off. Like, uh, I think he called it a fire uh, Chinese fire drill is what he called it. Uh, he said, "But you got to make sure like you you play some hockey. We know you we know you can hit. We know you can play physical. And we you know we like that part of your game. But you know, like uh, play some hockey." Wow. And uh, the next game, I got on a power play, boom, click, 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 and we lit it up. Yeah, really. I mean, that's what makes Al Arbor such a great coach. He tells you after your first game where you don't have any points and you're hitting everything, you know, play hockey. So you go out, second game is at the Nassau Coliseum, and you get a hat trick and have five points. So, you know, how much does that game allow you to exhale and you know because it seems like from everything you're telling us back then you know you worry that you're going to go back to juniors you know you're kind of in awe of everything that's going on but how much did that five-point game let you exhale and say okay I belong here well it helps your confidence like again you know the guys in the locker room were good like you yeah, I forget. Hey, good game, kid. But uh, one game doesn't make a career, you know. You, you're, you're just, and it was really funny because I my my locker was right next was the last locker, and I sat next to Dennis Podman. So it was the last locker on that side, and they go, "Remember, kid, you're the last locker, so you're the first one out the door." When when <laughs> and it was just it was all those little reminders from the veterans were just good good natured joking, but it kind of kept me like just grounded a little bit. Don't get your head too high, you know. There's the long season and. I remember after the first week, and, and the hockey news was the big thing back in those days, you know, and there was my name at the top of the scoring list with Guy Lafleur. I said, I'm going to take a picture of this. They only had, like, what was it, like 10-millimeter uh, cameras in those days? They didn't have 35-millimeter cameras yet. So, like, it was so comical. It looked so grainy and, like, so black and white. It was so comical. I took a picture of my name with Guy Lafleur at the top of the scoring championship scoring race at the end of the first week. But all those fun memories are just, you know, just really fun things that, you know, you, it helps your confidence. It helps your growth. You know, I was with a good group of guys playing with really good players. Clark Gillies on the left, you know, was like, he was like, he was like my Tiger Williams. Don't, don't touch Brian out there, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> then you had Billy Harris, you know, that first round draft choice, great hands, great sniper, you know, just a real good, Poised guy wanted to go out there and contribute, and uh, Dennis popped in on the point. Sat next to him in the locker room. We're just a bunch of young kids, young and dumb. We called ourselves, <laughs> but I think that helps to a degree because uh, you know you're just you're, you're you're playing on your on your passion. You're playing on your love of the game and 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 work ethic, and you know your your ability to want to contribute to the the group and your friendships, your bonds, your your, your building and. So, yeah, I felt like a big part of it after that first game. I felt a little accepted. The crowd at Long Island was fantastic. All of a sudden, I was like I was like this new dynamo, and I was like, <laughs> okay, to keep it simple, I, I was just not I, – I, I never saw myself as being a flashy player, like one of these, uh, you know, like uh, uh, Crosby kind of kids, but I was kind of one of these guys, a give-and-go kid guy who could, you know, kind of chunk in a couple goals around the net. You know, I didn't have this brilliant hard slap shot like Mike Bossy. I wasn't like a like a, a dynamic stick handler. I was just like kind of a sneaky little uh, kid from Saskatchewan that got uh, picked up some things and um, it was uh, try to contribute as much as possible. But the one thing I really liked doing, and it was really kind of like that's just part of you know growing up with my mom and dad was 
you just want to be a winner. Like you want to be a part of something fun. You want to be like winning to me was more fun than scoring goals. Like we won, that was awesome. Like if I scored a goal, even better. But if but if you could like help the team win, find a way to help the team win. That was my bottom line. It's funny you mentioned the hockey news and and Guy Lafleur and, and you and and that picture because only diehard um, slapshot fans will note this. But there, there's a hockey news that appears in the stands, and I, I believe in the opening scene, they're reading the hockey news, and you and Guy Lafleur are on the cover of that hockey news. So you do make a cameo in the movie <laughs> Slapshot, by the way. Um, I know Dave Hansen. I chuckle about that. <laughs> uh, so, you know, after 11 games, you 20 points. You finished the year uh, league records for rookie assistant points, breaking Marcel Dion's totals, which will later on be uh, broken by Peter Stastny of the Quebec Nordiques. You win the Calder, top rookie, the second in three years for the Islanders. You're 19 years old. Your team loses in the semifinals to a team that went on to win the Stanley Cup, the Montreal Canadiens. But as a 19-year-old, looking around at the young talent, forget about the, the father figures and the people that mentored you, Denny Potvin, Clark Gillies, Bob Nystrom, Bob Bourne, Andre Saint Laurent, all of you were under 24. I, I know you're only 19 at that time and probably really might not have a, a complete grasp, but did you get the feeling that there's a, a really solid young foundation that could, you know, do some special things going forward? We, we, felt, we felt as a group, and it wasn't just the veteran guys, it was the young kids. We felt as a group that we had something special here. The power play was kind of a, a bit of a, uh, uh, our biggest positive, I think, as a group. Because like Clark, myself, Billy Harris, Dennis Potvin, we were kind of like uh, having some good fortune on that power play through the season, and we kind of hit a hit a hit a rut in the playoffs. And you need your your special teams in the playoffs, so we really kind of held ourselves accountable. We re- we didn't like that, and we talked about it. We talked about it as a young group um, because as Drew and JP Parisi at Westfall, they were like they were like the the veteran power play group, and it, you know we 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 wanted to we wanted to be the guys that. You know, kind of grab the hold of the ball and be the, the the guys that could got to be dependable on that power play, whether it was you know killing penalties or just just contribute somehow. And that that power play was a big part of it. Uh, but I but the tough part for me, and it, and it's probably the same for a lot of guys, um, not being a drinker and, and and not getting into bars and being part of that atmosphere after game, post games, or you know just being being around the guys. So that was a little tough. So I'd, I'd have to go back to the hotels, go to the hotel by myself, eat by myself after the games, and kind of like I don't want to say commiserate after a loss, but you know, just kind of reflect on the game, whether win, lose, or draw, all by myself, <laughs> and then wait for the guys to come back, and they want to go right to bed. Eddie Westfall, like, hey, see you tomorrow again. I'm like, okay, he'd have his coffee, he'd be up in the morning, have us do it crosswords, and I'd sleep till the last minute because I'm just a kid. And um, there was that that offset of uh, veteran, young, young veteran, and um, so I had that to kind of overcome to a degree, but uh, just besides that, I think we knew as a group um, this team can do something more than what we're accomplishing right now. But playing against Montreal in the playoffs was a wonderful gauge because you kind of steal things from champions and you see how they perform, how they how they practice, how they dress, how they conduct themselves. And, we wanted to be the Montreal Canadiens, so we we studied them. We sit, we I sit there and watch their practices, and you know, and uh, Claude Ruel screaming at the guys, six seconds, six seconds, la la second, like you're trying to hurry the guys, give them some urgency. I said, wow, that's awesome. He, 
And then I had Claude Ruel in a couple all-star games. They go, Brian, 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 skate, feet, 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 the uh, pace, the pace, hurry. And I talking French to me like I understood everywhere. I had no clue what that dude was saying. But it was, but it was really fun to be a part of that little Montreal Canadian atmosphere to hang with Guy Lafleur times and Larry Robinson and Bob Gainey and to kind of like see how they carried themselves and how they just the confidence and it was, you know like so we started stealing some of their stuff and. Um, so that's uh, that's how you gauge yourself and you grow and uh, you know you, you start feeling like you know what we lost the champions maybe we'll get them maybe we'll uh, we'll have a little more success down the road we felt like we had something something better in in, in the uh, in the engine. The 1978-79 Islanders Rangers series is one that's still talked about to this day. What was different about that playoff series for you as opposed to all the others you had played in up until that point? Well, I always said this, like I said that through the playoffs, and I hope it's documented somewhere, but John Davidson was the biggest difference for us in that playoff. Like, we couldn't put anything past John Davidson. And then when he got hurt the next round, um, you know, it, I think it affected the Rangers to a degree because he, I think he hurt his knee. And, uh, like, he was just on fire. And that's what happens in, in playoffs is these goaltenders get red hot and they they carry a team. And... Uh, to this day, I say, you know, Ken Dryden, John Davidson are my two toughest goalies. They were big goalies. They covered a lot of net. Um, I, I gave him a lot, the most of the credit, but as a group, that Ranger series, I mean, they had, uh, you know, we were supposed to win. The Islanders were supposed to win because we had won, I think, the uh, division, the conference, the league, or whatever. So, like, the pressure was on us. They had no pressure, but, um, I mean, they carried themselves real well. They had a veteran leader Phil Esposito he he really kind of I think was the face of the team to a degree and and the rest of the team kind of rallied around that um but John Davidson to me that 79 series like I I I, I went to bed you know dreaming of John Davidson saying, <laughs> I hate this guy but uh, such respect for the man because in junior hockey he was a menace we go into Calgary Centennials and John Davidson was the toughest guy on the on the Calgary Centennial team. He like he was just the biggest toughest guy on their on their team, and what a presence! And uh, so he was a great goalie in junior. Then he came to the NHL. I, I used to say to myself when he was in St. Louis, the Ranger. I was like, oh my God, this guy! I got to face him again. So maybe he was in my he was in my head or in my grill or something. But uh, <laughs> no, I th- I just think he was he was the difference for me in that '79 series. You learn as a team from that loss. The following year, you win the first of four Stanley Cups with the Islanders. You won the Conn Smythe Trophy as the playoff MVP. Um, and then you become an important part of the Penguins team that won two straight titles. Stars such as Mario Lemieux and Yaramir Yager attribute much of the team's success to your leadership. Of the six Cups as a player, is there one that stands out to you um, the most gratifying? And, and the moment you first got to touch the Stanley Cup, what was the thoughts that went through your head? Well, Mark, to, to to like I would say this, like the greatest moment in hockey, like like Bobby Nixon scores the overtime goal. I'm a champion that section. That that's the moment you know you dream about as a little kid. You say, okay, I I want to I want to be the Stanley Cup champion. So that's my greatest moment. Like Bobby's Bobby's overtime goal. I thank him to this day. He's sick of me saying thank you, but <laughs> I, I still thank him. But it's really that's the that's what you dedicate your life to. That's the practice. That's what you're. You know, you're you're working towards from the time you're a little kid, eight years old. I wanted to be Jean Belleville, raise the Stanley Cup over my head, and uh, finally it happens that when you get finally bring the cup up here, you touch it. How cool it is to touch! And 
you, you feel the names that are engraved on it, and you like read some of these names, and you think, my God, they're going to put my name on there. It's going to be on there forever. Gordy Howe, you know, Pierre Pilat, Jean Bellow. I look for Jean Bellow. I look for Gordy Howe. I look for their names. It's so cool. And, you know, here we are going behind the Montreal Canadiens, the great Montreal Canadian teams of the late 70s. And we looked at our spot. That's going to be the Islanders' spot. And, uh, like, that, that to me was still my favorite, you know, cup for that reason gratifying Stanley Cup, you know, to be able to, like, uh, walk through 19 series and, like, uh, you know, to be able to, like, like I, I, I say this with all great respect to, to the teams we played, whether it was Vancouver Canucks or the Edmonton Oilers, but we we won a series, you know, four straight in the Stanley Cup Finals. That's, that's hard to do. And uh, we're proud of that 19 uh, game, or 19 series in a row. Like, that is really kind of a... a great accomplishment and a fun record to hold as a group uh the the four stanley cups is one thing but we got to the finals almost five years in a row we were right there and those creepy orders knocked us off but i just you know it's to their credit but also you know it's it's the the year before we beat the oilers was kind of a fun fun thing the the first one here pittsburgh was special because it was pittsburgh's first stanley cup as a city as an organization so to share that, having won the first one in New York and then experiencing that all over again, the first one here in Pittsburgh was pretty gratifying. And after people say, oh, Brian, you're a little long in the tooth, then you might not ever win again. And I came on a one-year contract to Pittsburgh to win the Stanley Cup with Mario Lemieux, and I did it. And Craig and I crack up, crack up about it because Craig Patrick and I were, were, were that, that was our negotiation. We were, Why do you want to come to Pittsburgh? I said, because I want to win the Stanley Cup with Mario Lemieux. He goes, I'll have a contract to you in a half an hour. <laughs> those really kind of those kinds of things make it fun. There's just really good memories. So I would love to know what you thought of not only now being compared to by Al Arbor to someone like Wayne Gretzky, but in the moment when it was, you know, happening and he was breaking records, you were breaking records, winning MVPs, what did it mean to have your coach's confidence in you that you were the best player in the league, no matter what anyone else said? What did that do for you? Well, it's the highest compliment you could get. I mean, like, of, of all people, like, you know, your dad or whatever, but when your head coach, you know, is in your corner. And I think I think Al got, got kind of, like, cornered because, like, uh, Gretzky had, like, a six-point game that night, and we beat them, like, 7-6 or 8-6. It was, like, a bit of a fire wagon hockey. And I don't know if I had maybe a couple points or whatever, but what that doesn't matter. Like, you know, there was just that we won the game. I think Al got caught a little bit. Okay, if you had to take Trotsky or Gretzky, you know, I think Brian does just a little bit more than, you know, Wayne's such a dynamic. I didn't have the offensive skills that Wayne. Like, I, 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 did, I, did, I, I could play that offensive role, but not like Wayne. I didn't even try to compare myself to Wayne in that area. But, uh, you know, I don't think Wayne tries to compare himself to me in, in – in other other parts of the game, where there's you know battling in corners or you know like uh, face-off percentages, I don't know. I just say to myself, I I, I liked the uh, the comparisons and the uh, the contrasts of being compared to like whether it was Gilbert Perot, what an honor. Uh, Wayne Gretzky, what an honor. Like uh, if somebody compared me to somebody else, and the, now you got young kids like uh, uh, Taves being compared to Brian Trotsky, I think that's fun. Uh, I think those kinds of things are always fun to be compared to somebody, but it's such a high honor, a compliment when people compare you to some great players, whether it's before you, during your career, or after your career. I think it's just the highest compliment you can get because 
it's nice to be remembered or nice to be compared to greatness, and I think that's uh, that's fun. But I keep everything in, <laughs> in perspective, in a sense, because I I know my strengths, and I know kind of like uh, when I reflect on my game, I, I kind of know what I'm really kind of good at, and I don't even try to like take any kind of like uh, credit for something that I don't dare take credit for because it's just uh, it's just not not our nature as hockey players. And you can tell how well-respected you are by great minds in the game, like Al Arbor, one of them. But Glenn Sather thought so highly of you and your hockey IQ that he named you the, the head coach of the New York Rangers. That head coaching job with the Rangers lasted only 54 games, slightly longer than the halfway mark of the season. Uh, you had a 21-26, and one record. Um, in all fairness, that was an aging team with really a patchwork of players that really didn't mesh. Maybe guys like Holik, Messe, Burry, and Lindros... Maybe a veteran coach may not may have been a, a better fit. Do you think if you had to coach a team similar to what the Rangers have now, a, a much more greater infusion of youth and only a few veterans, things might have been a little different? I would take it either way, Mark. Like the the, the team I had was fantastic. Like great group of guys: Mark Messier, Eric Lindros, uh, Brian Leach. You you, go, you name them all: Pavel Burry, Mike Richter. You talk about good players, they're great players and great people. So walk into that locker room, um, it was just awesome. And we had a, a group of guys that wanted to win. What happened to us as a group, and it, 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 it happens to everybody, is we got decimated by injuries. The first guy we lost was Pavel Burry. Pavel had, <clears throat> I think he had uh, 30 goals at Christmas. He's on, like, he's got, I don't know, he's on, like, 10 or 12 shorthanded goals. Um, like, he's on fire. And all of a sudden, he gets injured. Two knee injuries, he's out for the year. Yeah. Then we get Brian Leach out. Then we get uh, Mark um, Mark Messier goes down with an ankle. Uh, uh, shot, block shot. We missed him for a month and a half. Um, we got Brian Leach goes down with an ankle injury. We've got uh, Mike Richter goes out with a concussion. We've got a young Danny Blackburn who's looked right. fantastic in that. He's ever, I think he won some like 26 games in a row as a 19 year old goaltender. Um, and then we get, uh, like, it was just a dynamic time with a dynamic group of guys that had, we just got decimated by injuries. And, uh, yeah, I think Glenn was, was getting a little nervous in the sense that, and Glenn's a, one of the best people I've ever worked for. Glenn Sather's one of the best people I've ever worked for. Like, you can't ask for a better boss. Um, and I think he got a little nervous, saying, "You know, like I, I, I think Brian's going to have a nerv- nervous breakdown." I was, I was <laughs> loving it in a sense, but at the same time, you know, we were we were whole patches of thing together. You know, I, Peter Nedved was my number one center at the time, and he was playing outstanding. Yeah. We were getting a lot. We were getting a lot of mileage out of a lot of guys. We got uh, Mike Dunham come in and played some great hockey for us. We got La Barbara came in and he was playing some great goaltending for us. I mean, it was a great year. Like if that, that was a tough. That had to be a tough decision for Glenn to make at the time, um, but it was a great opportunity for me. And, and you know, you take a young team, you take a veteran team. I think when you're a coach, you take whatever you get and and uh, you try to blend it as best you can. And uh, I can't thank those players; they played their hearts out for me, and I th- I thank every one of them. And lastly, you're going to be back behind the bench as a coach as you, along with seven other Hall of Famers, Guy Charbonneau, Grant Fior, Eddie Johnstone, John LeClair, Joe Mullen, Larry Murphy, Angela Rogerio, will each coach one of the eight 
three ice teams. That represents nearly 8,000 games played, 29 All-Star appearances, 28 Stanley Cup championships, five Olympic uh, medals. Can you tell our audience a little bit about three ice? And is this maybe a springboard? Do you think you'd like to get back into the NHL as a head coach? I'll try to answer those all in, in reverse, if that's okay. <laughs> that's I would love to get back at the NHL. Always, always looking back. I got my son through high school. He's starting college, so he's the youngest. And I've got a lot more time on my hands now, but I've really spent the last five, six years trying to get him uh, going. Great young athlete, uh, just a terrific kid. I, I, I've been an opportunity, gave me opportunity here to be a dad, and I'm not a grandfather, but with him off to college, I've got more time. So I'd love to get back in the NHL at some point, in some role, uh, with a good organization that's going to take my experiences and my my, my sense of culture and, and, and uh, winning and that kind of stuff and, and try to help and be, be part of something fun, be part of something that uh, that's successful. Uh, yeah, without a doubt. Um, the Three Ice is just a, a really good opportunity for players to showcase themselves, the highest skill they can have, because who doesn't like three-on-three hockey? I mean, you know, it's going to be kind of fire wagon hockey, end-to-end, got a lot of action, good speed. The goaltenders are going to see a lot of shots. Uh, you know, it's going to be fast and furious, a little frantic at times. For the coaches, you know, we've had uh, some great meetings. Uh, the guys are all great. Everybody's all about the players and the game. Nobody's in this for the ego. We're all in this thing to have some fun for the players, showcase our, our players, let their skills shine, um, you know, promote the game in in the best possible sense, and uh, you know, bring 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 another level opportunity for for skill to shine at the same time. Fans to enjoy the purest of hockey, and uh, so it's gonna be it's gonna be it's gonna be entertainment. It's gonna be entertainment. We're gonna keep it keep it keep it moving. Puck's gonna keep moving as much as we possibly can. Uh, Pucks off the screen. We talked about this. Instead of the puck hitting the mesh and being a whistle, puck off the off the mesh is going to stay stay in action. So, you know, those little wow. fun little rules rules are going to make it really just make the game move that much quicker. No stoppages of play. Keep it going. A goalie makes a save, puts his hand on the puck, players back off. The goalie moves the puck, and the way it goes again. There's no keep, the least amount of faceoffs, more action. The better off I think the game is. Um, Probably won't be a lot of hitting. There'll probably be a lot of good, you know, passing, skating, shooting, scoring, plays to the net. Who doesn't love that? <laughs> Gotta love it. Brian, you know, just like you said that, you know, when you closed your eyes, John Davidson was in your head. You know, I was a Ranger fan growing up in Long Island. And, you know, number 19, every time I shut my eyes when the Rangers were eliminated and you guys were beating them, number 19 was in my head. Uh, I want to thank you so much for your time tonight. And, uh, and I'm going to forgive you for all those great games you had against the New York Rangers. Mark, it was an absolute pleasure. Thank you so, so much. Um, and you know what? I, I, growing, you, you grew up at a great time on Long Island because hockey was hot. Yep. But this this level of hockey right now, I, I give the NHL such High marks are making such a valiant effort to bring the game, sports, the entertainment value. I, I give them such high marks. This is going to be a, a real fun summer fall here for the game of hockey. Absolutely. Thanks so much. Brian Trotty, a Hall of Famer.